0: Entry 145.PS 11983, Certificate Number 16793. The Bottle Conjurer. my fake and They'll never know you're just a bagel. Razzle, dazzle, and they'll beg you for
1: more. Are you much of a prankster? I don't think of you as pranking people because it's kind of a little bit, um, it's a little bit naughty or nasty even.
0: I disliked pranking before it was cool to dislike pranking. I ca- I came of age in the early eighties, yes, where the media, you know, kind of the, the post Animal House media told us that pranking was the highest form of, of art and culture, and uh, and humor. Yeah, right. It was the Porky's por- por- era, Porky's uh, Revenge of the Nerds era. Uh, anything mean to do to anyone else is okay, but it also, especially if they, it victimizes women. Yeah, it was, it was very <laughs> it was, sexist. It was, it was right? creepy. Yeah. You're
1: always trying to steal somebody's underwear or make or embarrass them or take their bra off in public.
0: And uh, and I always found pranks. Uh, you know, I had a book of pranks which I thought were fun because they're they're clever. You know, stick yeah. a little stick a little suction cup um, faucet on the wall of the plane next to you and ask the stewardess what this is for. You know, or <laughs> or uh, or re, you know replace somebody's Goldfish with progressively bigger fish every day. I like the ones that were like big ideas, long cons.
1: Yeah, the 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 uh, the psychological ones where you replace someone's slippers with the with a pair that are a half size too small, right? Increasingly um, small until the person goes insane.
0: But the thing about it, you know, the ethics of it are indefensible. Hmm. You're doing some unannounced mean thing to someone. It's not even a joke. And the, who's the audience for this joke? I yeah, mean, if, right. if, if you and all your friends are observing and laughing, it's cruel. Right. If it's just you uh, doing it for fun and then revealing it to the person, they didn't get to see the buildup, so they're not going to like it.
1: Sure, you're the sadist here. Uh,
0: on what level does it work? It, I, find it very, um, I find it very cringy, and often it just requires lying. Oh, hmm. Like a good prank will be like, you know, we'll have some element of, Hey, you got to, you know, your mom called, you got to run over to her place. Right. The better to get the person off the premises.
1: You never did prank phone calls. You never, uh, you never said, is your refrigerator running or, or find that appealing at all?
0: <laughs> oh, I find it appealing because I thought the jerky boys were funny. <sighs> yeah. Right. But I, but you know, exactly. It's the kind of thing that I would never do, you know? Yeah, sure. I like these things in the abstract as a skit.
1: Yeah. But you're a good boy.
0: I, I, I like to follow the rules. Yeah. I like to figure out what all the rules are in turn so i can then follow the, mm-hmm. all of them simultaneously <laughs>
1: even when they're contradictory you you follow them both in different directions that's what the bible's for you
0: got <laughs> you got to do the things <laughs> and then the things that contradict the things
1: i uh, i had a long standing and well still do a long uh, a long standing uh, long con on dick cheney
0: Wow, does he know
1: he doesn't know because i haven't i've never been able to actually get him alone but the the project was to this began back at, during the Bush administration. I was going to find a One way. One would assume, <laughs> yeah, I was going to assume, or I was going to find a way to get uh, get some of the worst uh, culprits of the uh, of the of that era of politics, including Lawrence Eagleburger, who I had a special fondness for, and I was going to capture them, you know, like with chloroform, using a team of very leftist. Former Navy SEALs, so that was the first completely implausible
0: premise. Where are you going to find those guys?
1: And we were going to bi- we were going to bury some shipping containers in the desert, far up a a uh, a dirt road, create an underground sort of cavern. <laughs> and this uh, is
0: more than you've ever prepared for an omnibus entry. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> and uh, and then I was going to build little apartments in these shipping containers under the ground, and these uh, these culprits were going to wake up in these shipping containers that were going to be you know basically a one bedroom or a studio apartment. But over the course of time, I was going to increase the dosage of LSD in their drinking water whilst also just very subtly while they slept, changing the dimensions of the room so that the the walls no longer were exactly parallel. But I would also change the fixtures to match the walls. So the bed would also become a sort of trapezoid. trapezoid.
0: <laughs> yeah. Man, and, I- Ikea would have Ikea would have done such great business <laughs> off of this <laughs> off of this plan. If you the, you, that you and Mossad were going to
1: Yeah, the, the the plan of course would be to what, you know, to watch these people go nuts um, because they because we, I would be controlling every element <laughs> of their environment.
0: The only the only thing keeping Dick Cheney sane right now is the fact that his bedboards meet at right angles. That's exactly it. And if they if that were to change to any degree he would immediately come unglued.
1: This is the small slipper. And realize thing. his
0: sins. But if your slippers got smaller every day
1: and your drinking water went from micro doses of LSD <laughs> to slightly perceptible
0: doses of LSD? Have you considered that the LSD element of your plan maybe makes it so you don't have to change the decor? No, no, no. It's the it's the the LSD would be, you know, they'd just be sitting there like, whoa,
1: all of a sudden the wallpaper is moving. But if the wallpaper also was like changing from day to day and you kind of lost your, lost whatever your, uh, your anchor reality was. I really feel like. That I don't
0: would... think you should be talking about this on the show because now you've ruined the joke if, for when you actually do this.
1: Dick Cheney will not listen to Omnibus. Uh, when it happens to Dick Cheney, it will be in an underground bunker. So no one else will know.
0: What podcasts do you think Dick Cheney enjoys? Like you think he's a radio lab guy? Uh, no, I mean like shotgun fans and, uh, what if he's really no. into what if he and his wife are really into true crime?
1: I feel like his uh, he and his wife have a BDS and M relationship, so there might be that. <laughs> well, suggest some podcasts. I, I I gotta say,
0: I don't know the space that well. I'm not sure I do either. <laughs> I've never listened to a BDS podcast. I don't think you even know what order let, uh, those letters go in. BSDM? B, D, M, D, D, um I, I definitely, uh, I had a friend named. Cameron, who was a prank guy and Uh and took a lot of relish in it. He was actually, I think he might've been the one that showed me jerky boys, but he was, uh, he was a benevolent example of the species. Oh, isn't that sweet? And he, his pranks, which, you know, which I would, you know, he would, he would have me join in on them. They were calibrated to be essentially, um... You know, not victimless in the sense that they would bring a sense of blessing and wonder to the audience.
1: So when he was like reading scripture out loud, he would change certain words that would make everyone oh, in the church laugh?
0: What a good one. <laughs> no, that kind of guy gets evicted from the community oh, right, very right, quickly. Of course. Of course. Um, no, this was more along the lines of, I always enjoyed the, the pranks of, you know, where a uh, a, a Jeep is built part by part in somebody's dorm room or a donkey appears on the, on the college dorm or, you know, just the nerdy Caltech hacks where the, um, everybody lifts up the sign at the football game and it says Stanford, but it's backwards. It's in mirror writing.
1: We, uh, we did that the last week of my, uh, senior year in high school. We went and actually, uh, we actually stole a piece of playground equipment from the local evangelical church parking lot and reassembled it in the middle of our high school like multipurpose room so on the you know last day of school everyone came in and there was this giant piece of playground equipment that's pretty great yeah it was good i, I mean, mean it was
0: not not for the not for the evangelicals they're, yeah. they're kind of hating it
1: <laughs> that's not a thing that we
0: worried about did you put it back no
1: i mean we didn't actually get in trouble because because we were actually pretty good at this prank
0: Yeah. And that's the thing about this kind of prank is it actually is a moment of performance for an audience that doesn't actually victimize anyone because it's a little more like a magic trick than a, than an act of cruelty. You know, here's the prestige. There's a donkey on the roof. And, and my friend's pranks were often very much like that. He showed me one where you, um, you cover somebody's dorm room door with, uh, with paper and then you fill the space in between the paper and the door with balloons. And then you seal it up like the cask of Amontillado. So there's a a foot-deep a, 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 a foot, wide, a foot deep layer of balloons in between. And as long as you've ensured that their door opens inward, which right. not all doors do, but if it's a door that opens inward, they will open their door only to have a wall of balloons fall on them. Oh, that's wonderful. Which Unless is, they have a heart attack. Which is beautiful and harmless. Yeah. And that that happens about half the time. You do that. <laughs> Like you, about if you kill the person. Yeah, over about half the time this prank has been attempted, the people have died. Of joy, though, for seeing a oh. for seeing a wall of balloons coming <laughs> up. They would they would have no regrets in a hypothetical afterlife.
1: Yeah, I mean it's like at its most benign, it's just a surprise party.
0: Which I don't love either. Yeah. I mean that, that kind of goes against my sense of
1: not wanting to have a party. <laughs> <laughs> or to have people in your house. Both. Oh, yeah. But also
0: just not as a guest, not wanting to jump out from behind somebody's couch. Right. Um, because, you know, the main thing I expect of a couch is that nobody's going <laughs> to jump out from, even ahead of comfort. Like when I buy a couch, I'm I, the first thing I do is look behind it. Right. To see, is anybody going <laughs> to jump out
1: from behind this one? I am also not a, prankster very much. I, you, you, I just don't have that much, uh, planning ability. (laughs) I see.
0: You know, everything I
1: do is a, is a surprise to me in the minute. You
0: might be a prankster. You just don't know because you've never had enough coffee.
1: Right. Well, yeah, exactly. Like I never, I, I don't even think an hour ahead. So how would I, how would I pull off a prank that required three days of
0: preparation? Please, if you're listening to this, suggest to John a prank that can work with perfect spontaneity and no preparation whatsoever. I mean, And it, mail it to Omnibus Project, P.O. Box 55744 line.
1: <laughs> Kind of the opposite of the Van Halen, uh, replace your Jack Daniels with iced tea so that you can go out on stage and chug a bottle of Jack Daniels and continue to play the show. You could put Jack Daniels in someone's pitcher of iced tea,
0: but again, that would be a terrible prank. It is. Uh, you know, it- You're a recovering alcoholic. You shouldn't be putting Jack Daniels in other people's iced tea. Back in the old
1: days, this was a prank that was done to me. I was at a fraternity party in Ithaca, New York, on the campus of Cornell University. And they were doing beer bongs, which is a thing that- I don't know what that is. You've never done. But a beer bong is where you put a bunch of beer, not just your usual one can of beer- But But a a bunch. (laughs) Multiple beers- in a giant, you know, you get, you get an apparatus and this is another thing that someone else has to plan, right? I never did this myself, but you go to a party and there's a giant funnel and then a long piece of, of, uh, tubing and you put as many beers as you can fit into a giant funnel and a long piece of tubing and sometimes quite a few beers. And then you put the length of, it's like siphoning gas from a car. You put the tube in your mouth and then your friend's lift the funnel and the tube up as high as they can, and the beer goes into you as fast as, as it's,
0: it's the best day of Brett Kavanaugh's life. (laughs)
1: You're just, yeah, that's exactly what it is. You're just basically choking down this beer because it's, you know, there's a lot of uh, force behind it at the, at the, uh, at its highest point. And what what sense, and what
0: sense does a bong?
1: Oh, well, a bong, you know, you often like. uh, I
0: guess it's carbonated. Well, like a
1: hookah, you would put a tube in your mouth and. You would – you know, with a hookah, you end up – the more suction there is on the bowl, the denser the smoke once it
0: – I'm just saying this is a smoke-free – Yeah. I mean, is it a bong in any meaningful sense if it's just a carbonated drink? Can I can yeah. I have like a Dr. Pepper bong?
1: You could, but it would be – I think you would have Shot, a hot, Just
0: shotgunning Dr. Peppers? You would have a the, hard
1: time – Consuming like six Dr. Peppers. I don't know what's so special about beer that you can drink a lot of it, where you could never drink that many Cokes. You couldn't sit and drink twelve Cokes. So that'd be light
0: beer. I feel like this is a very heav- uh, this is a very heavy evening. If you're,
1: it's a gnarly experience. But you know, when you're in a fraternity and you're and you're 19 years old, you, you know, consuming 12 beers, you can is do anything. That's small beer. 19 year olds are just
0: superheroes.
1: And I was a I was a major beer consumer at the time. And uh, anyway, we were. Because this was Cornell, and it was uh, full of, you know, uh, MIT almosts. <laughs> MIT also ran. The MITAs. Uh, at this fraternity, they had built a beer bong that was so large that the- uh, Not
0: even light could escape.
1: No, it was, <laughs> it was uh, yeah, it was, uh, you could hold the funnel from the second floor
0: <laughs> of the fraternity.
1: And it was, you know, it's like eating a- eating a 50 ounce steak or whatever. It was, if you, if you could eat it, your, your beer was free. Um, there weren't very many people that were going to attempt this beer bong. But of course I was a, I was somebody that was always going to do a stunt. I was always going to try and eat the steak. And you're a big boy. I was a big boy. I can drink a lot of beer. So I, I was like, sure, you can, you know, I'm going to do the second story beer bong. And, and, uh, because the, because it's already up high, the pressure on the the pressure on your mouth of the of the beer when it was up that high, you know, it was pretty substantial. You had to really hold it in, and so you know, I open up the bong, I'm drinking the beer, you know, chug 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 chug, and someone up on the second floor had upturned a bottle of booze in the top of the
0: and no, knowing what they were doing, they, yeah, they, this was oh a this prank, was intentional a prank right? on you.
1: You're going to drink as many beers as this is, and then. Mid chug as you're nearing the end of your you know your capacity for beer, you're gonna get a, a, like whatever a, a uh, an That's, undergraduate killing amount of booze.
0: It's a Boilermaker bong,
1: and uh, you know of course it's only, you only have to take a few chugs to realize that you're it's drinking jet fuel well, now, and yeah. you you know and I stopped and everybody laughed ha 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 ha, and then I was just wasted. It was a terrible terrible prank. And barfed, you know. Of course, you're going to
0: have to barf after. Yeah, that. Yeah, putting balloons in somebody's front door—they rarely vomit. Yeah, from surprise or delight.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was—I—I I played rugby. I—I I deserved everything I got.
0: Is it even possible to be so delighted that you would throw up? To be so delight? Well, it, it depends. Like How do there, you feel
1: about teacup it, rides at Disneyland?
0: Well, that's not delight. No. Is there? But I'm seriously—is—is oh, yeah. is there a, a stuffed animal or some kind of Easter tableau that would just be so adorable that you would just have no choice but to? It feels like something that would happen to a Japanese girl. <laughs> it's a it's a medical condition we do not have in the West.
1: Yeah, that you see a you see a stuffed pandas and you're so excited that you barf, like tiny
0: barf, like cute barf. There's a fun emoji for fun yeah. barfing. <laughs> I can I can believe that that there's a there's a manga signifier for uh, for barfing out of del- cuteness, delighted barfing.
1: I made it. I just made a barf sound, and I'm sorry, but I don't think it was very cute. I think the barf would be. <laughs>
0: Even that isn't very cute. Yeah, it wouldn't be.
1: Re- it there's wouldn't be There's no cute barf. Sound. It would depend. Would you? You'd have to be eating gummy bears all morning for the barf to be cute.
0: It's the worst. There's no no food makes cute barf. Cute barf. Because it's, it's just the worst experience. Yeah. There's enough. I'll there's do enough bile to, in your stomach. I'll do anything to avoid barfing. Really? Oh, really? You're not a barfer? No. You enjoy uh, it? No, no. I'm not a
1: barfer either. I, I even when I'm really sick, even when I have food poisoning, I hardly ever barf.
0: I mean, it feels you know, it's a great relief. But. Yeah,
1: but I also enjoy the feeling of having food poisoning and not barfing. I really ride it, you know. You're
0: like, I deserve this. This
1: is a hair shirt, you know. <laughs> I had some bad tacos, and I'm going to suffer I, I, this. I punishment.
0: had this coming.
1: Well, one of the um, one of the sort of great pranks of its era um, involved kind of exactly what you described as like the um kind of a bad prank where where you give uh where you give a whole crowd of people um not what they're expecting and um you you said at some point uh, that it was unlikely that a, that a prank no matter how bad would be unlikely to to uh cause a riot you might not have said it on the show that might have just been something you you say as one of your normal adages.
0: It's kind of one of my catchphrases. Like people be like, Hey Ken, how's it hanging? And I'll say not bad enough a prank to cause a riot. (laughs) People love that.
1: But this is a prank that caused a riot. And uh, you don't, you don't usually think of, um, I mean, when we think of the 18th century uh, before the American revolution, I mean, we think of of the people of the 18th century as being pretty sporting, Pretty fun. It was a fun era. They
0: pulled their stockings up to their knees, where their pants start. Um, That's right. So they're, they're wearing
1: powdered wigs,
0: that, which is fun. That is fun. They might have little. Um, Do they have little beauty spots? Are we in France? mm,
1: No. Well, no, we're not. We're in England where that would have been considered French decadence. But but they have
0: coffee now. So they're really wired during the day. Coffee and pipes. They're ready to write some satirical pamphlets.
1: There's a lot of satirical pamphleting uh, during this time. And we'll see that that also plays a role later (sighs) in our show. Um, But yeah, this is post-enlightenment or, you know, like this is a time when you could be a deist, and uh, and that was the like, thing. And you still get invited places. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You could you could start a new government. You
0: wouldn't get you know. Previously, you'd be burned at the stake. Right. But now you get invited over to Madame Whatever's, and she's like, "Do tell us about your <laughs> clockwork God,
1: <laughs> Sir Arnold." And there was an awful, uh, particularly in the upper classes, but I think this was true of everyone. There was a lot of, um, a lot of pride and prominence given to wit, which. Um, which I think also was true in Shakespeare's time, right? Uh, the Samuel Pepys diaries. Were... Samuel
0: Samuel Johnson. He's the funny one. Is he Pe- was oh, funny. Pepys is funny too, but, I think. Yeah, Pepys. People named Samuel, man. Just hilarious. Samuel yeah. Clemens, last funny Samuel. That's Well, is that true? Yeah, I guess, well. Well, but... maybe the last Samuel of any kind.
1: <laughs> I mean, Sam Gamgee... Was uh, was a little bit of a wag, but he predates Samuel Clemens, doesn't he, by several
0: millennia? No, actually, the the Hobbit books take place in a post apocalyptic future. Did you not know oh, this? Oh,
1: it's a it's not a galaxy far, far away. Long no, time ago. The, that's the
0: crazy thing. Star Wars is in the past. Tolkien's in the future. Oh, sure, because all of those creatures are
1: are uh, are mutations. Uh, <laughs> that's that right. Resulted from. a from chemical waste.
0: Yeah, there's a big volcano spewing stuff. It's because of the the meteor that landed. Oh,
1: thank you for explaining that entire uh, that entire universe. It makes a lot more sense to me now.
0: You're you're very welcome.
1: Uh, but during this period, there was, I think, a lot of um, well, within the social the social strata of the uh, the British Empire, there was a lot of contempt. This may be hard for you to believe, but there was a lot of contempt for the lower classes. What? Unlike um, today. Unlike today. Where people
0: love the poor and marginalized. You're not allowed to especially in Britain.
1: <laughs> you're not allowed to uh to mock the the poor and marginalized now. Uh you were then. It's not to say that there's not still tremendous contempt for them in the culture, but
0: I mean you're I've not se- allowed to show it. I've said this because they have it hard enough. It's this common sense rule. Look, here's the thing about poor people. They're really poor. The mm. last thing they need at the end of a hard day of being poor is to hear your Bummer jokes about them. Sure, uh, and in the in fact, in the past, having written a book about the history of comedy, the only acceptable targets for humor were people beneath you. Like punching down yeah. was not only allowed; it was compulsory. Right. You would you could never make fun of a priest or a king. You know, these were people that had divine sanction.
1: Right. So the only You'd get beheaded. The
0: safe targets were the ones who could not behead you, which is anybody below you. Well, and and that was and actually the
1: theater was one of the places that you could satirize the upper classes, right? I mean, Shakespeare is full cover. of uh, of illusions, and that was even more so true in the 18th century. Theater was kind of the bastion of the ribald—
0: You'd like, go see Absalom and Achitophel, and you'd be like, Wait a second. I think Absalom might be one of the Stuart kings, yeah, exactly, or something. I don't know if that's true,
1: you know nursery rhymes, I guess we we now understand we're all jabs at at various kings. I don't
0: believe that that seems like revisionist
1: bull. it does a little old
0: bit. King Cole was clearly Henry the Second Plantagenet, was he though?
1: I do feel like that's somebody trying to write a novel thesis, yes paper to get their PhD and—
0: And without having to do much work, because the, yeah. the source text is f- literally four lines right. of, ten, of eight syllables each. <laughs> Nobody
1: really reads literature theses anyway. It's just, you have to stand up there and, and dance around, uh, rattle your tambourine, and you're going to get that doctorate. That's right. But uh, in the mid-18th century, during this period that I'm sort of trying to flesh out for you— um, You're really painting a, a vivid picture, too. Yeah, thank you all the dukes and uh and uh duchesses and and um earls and countesses countesses and uh, and viscounts and viscountesses used to stand around in drawing rooms and make one another laugh presumably not yet drinking absinthe but whatever the well bombay gin Whatever the the the, <laughs> the drink of choice would have been for those people to get messed
0: up. Gins for the poor. I don't know what those people were drinking. What were they drinking? It's never occurred to me to. Th- this is something that is it some flavored liqueur? Is it like some weird orange liqueur or
1: some some uh, some probably large group of craft cocktail futurelings They're so angry right are going to run in and, and tell us. Uh, They're
0: screaming which <laughs> which uh, whiskey it actually, single malt whiskey it would have been. that That's probably what it was, right? Scottish whiskey. I don't know.
1: Irish whiskey. No, no, no. They wouldn't have consumed some beverage from, Ir- from the peat bogs of Ireland. I don't, yeah, that's very interesting. Well, futureling, alcohol futurelings, don't write us because Ken and I are both Teetotalers, and we don't really care.
0: Not only are we not in the appropriate time period to to drink with these people, we also we would just be asking if they had a diet coke. Were they drinking wine, or was that also de classe? I bet they were drinking wine.
1: Well, anyway, standing around drinking around a giant fireplace uh, one day in the mid eighteenth century, some uh, nobles, among whom was uh, the Duke of Portland. Mm. And uh, the Earl of Chesterfield and various other dukes What if the Earls? Duke of
0: Portland is just some dude on a unicycle with
1: like a ferret? <laughs> the Duke of Portland, actually, um, his son, William, became the Prime Minister of England. What? what? And uh, although the Duke himself was not really a, um, he wasn't busy like meddling in politics, his great, 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 great granddaughter is Queen Elizabeth. Oh. So he became, as as is so often the case with those dukes, um, he became one of the great forefathers.
0: The Portland who was who became prime minister actually had a, a, a Cavendish as part of his hyphenated name. He might be related to the uh, Cavendishes or Kevin. Kevin Kevin of previous Omnibuy.
1: Right, right. Well, it, you know, it's all it's all one big family. It's all one big family, right? They're all they're all cousins of cousins. But there's uh, they're standing around together, uh, laughing at the poor, D- doing incest. Uh, well, but also laughing at the middle class, even more than the poor, because the middle class, I mean, this is the thing about, as you were saying, you know, don't um, don't punch down upon the poor. But in fact, the true working poor aren't on Twitter to yes. even recognize it. So, and if
0: you're the Duke of Portland, the poor have no faces even. Right. Like what's what's awful is these middle-class people popping up, yeah, the, making themselves known, the thinking they're that. The bourgeoisie, all that.
1: people that are writing, uh, are writing witty broadsides. And that's that's true in our own day. I mean, the people that are most offended are the ones exactly one rung laterally – on whatever social ladder still I mean, exists, they're a
0: bigger threat. I don't know if these people can existentially sense that the middle class is coming for them. The mercantile class is coming for them.
1: Well, it's just that someone like you with five hundred thousand Twitter followers is is feels threat from ten thousand people with three hundred Twitter followers.
0: <laughs> she added up. <laughs> she added, if if they ever figure out they can gang up on me, good
1: heavens! But part of the uh, part of this this uh, witty conversation. Uh, the topic turns to the gullibility of the middle class, and in particular, the gullibility of theater audiences.
0: Because this was a time... <laughs> yeah, finally we're going to stick it to them. <laughs> These guys think there's a thunderstorm on the moor at the end of King Lear, idiots. <laughs> this was a time when,
1: uh, when it was actually, you know, in order to put on a play, you actually kind of had to have... Um, there were there were like what you would I guess describe as copyright laws. You couldn't just throw a play up. You had to have a royal endorsement for certain productions. And yes, the, the, the crown could shut down the theaters at any time. And the crown actually, uh, you know, owned uh, some portion of the theaters, or some some either portions of individual theaters, or actually a. Portion of the theaters,
0: just like how today the president owns the Kennedy Center. Yeah, he right. can be like, we're going to have ice capades, and they have to do it.
1: And the Ford Theater, I mean, famously, Trump <laughs> would go over there every afternoon.
0: Lincoln was like, I got a request, I got a special request.
1: <laughs> um, so a lot of the diversions were of a coarser nature, uh, magic shows and um, and incredible feats. Uh, theater owners would, you know, try to fill up uh, the theater with
0: dog this, dog act? Uh, yeah, <laughs> is it, is it right. like proto vaudeville? Yeah,
1: pre-vaudeville um things that uh, you know that that delighted the senses.
0: Oh, like uh, like there's is there some freak show element like um, you know, elephant man is Victorian era, but
1: there would have been I think uh maybe more of a uh, but some of those technologies might not have yet been invented, but of course there's always been freak shows.
0: <laughs> Little people having not yet been invented.
1: But I don't think uh, – I think, you know, th- this was a class of people that went to the theater. And we when we think of the Cirque Theater and the rabble and the ribald nature of those audiences, which mm-hmm. again is another kind of revisionism about Shakespeare, it wasn't high art – then it was much more, those rowdy crowds.
0: Tuppence would get you in. But they're
1: still theater goers. They're not, um, which I guess now we think of as as real uh, poshers. But even in Seattle 20 years ago, the people that went to the theater were the cool rock and roll people.
0: I would say that's not the, my experience. I'm usually the youngest person in any theater production.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're going to see Le, Le Miserable instead of, uh, you know, instead of like the heroin theater of, of 1995. But, but anyway, within this within this one particular cocktail party, there was an assertion made by the uh, second Duke of Montague, um, or Montague, uh, I think. Did Not you get in trouble for saying Montague? Montague. No, the, because there's no e at the end, and I think the e turns the u into a u or a you G- in, in France, it would but in but it's just M O N T A G U can that be montague or would it be montagu i don't know well the duke of montagu is uh, one of those titles that no longer exists no, it,
0: we can't ask anyone no
1: it came into existence um as a kind of royal award one son john became the second duke of montagu and then died childless. His daughter married a earl. The earl was elevated to dukedom, and became the second iteration of the first Duke of Montagu. Oh, was a reboot. It was a reboot. And then they had no uh, no male heir. I think I think one. I think the second Duke of Montagu maybe had something like eight kids, but all the boys died. Uh, and so it's it was, not good
0: for your dukedom. That's
1: right. Only daughters, but the daughter married an earl who then was elevated to the dukedom, but they didn't have a male heir. And so the Duke of Montague has. The Duke of Montague. Has, has uh, evaporated two separate times. Um, but And I think some subsequent earl, you know, all that stuff has to get inherited. So. The daughter married someone else, and it and eventually the dukedom of Montague got subsumed beneath some other dukedom, and that duke is now called the Duke of something hyphenated something hyphenated Montague.
0: Here's what I'm getting out of it: I'll never
1: meet the Duke of Montague. Almost certainly, no. You won't meet this one because he was born in the uh, in the very 19th. late 16th century. Wow. Or no, I'm sorry, late 17th century. But he was all of these characters that I've mentioned, the, the, um, the Duke of Portland, the Earl of Chesterfield, the Duke of Montague, they were all wits and prominent wits of their day. And uh, apparently the Duke, the second Duke of Montague suggested to the members of his cocktail party that the current theater going audience was so gullible, so culpable That he could mount almost any production, advertise almost any production, and it would sell out a theater. And the Duke of Montague had a relationship with with a theater in the West End. And the West End by this point was already kind of the theatrical district of—
0: That's nice. When you go to a play there, it's like 300, 400 years of history, which, you know, Broadway was a peach orchard.
1: Yeah right exactly. There were yeah, there were theaters. I mean, the earliest theater there was built in I think the 1600s. It didn't become the West End of of um, of fame, fame and fortune. You know, a theater district that now has a, has dozens.
0: And of Cats centers. wouldn't have, wouldn't open for another ten years. That's
1: right. The the, the um.
0: Andrew Lloyd Webber was still a
1: boy. <laughs> what was the what was the big production uh, about? Oh, it was uh, Lady Saigon. What was that called?
0: Miss Saigon. Miss
1: Saigon. Right. Helicopters. No, no that would have helicopters been land on you. Uh, right. Or the Book of Mormon.
0: Did you see the Book of Mormon? I have. It doesn't have any helicopters. Is it funny? uh was it funny to you yeah it's not in very good taste i
1: mean the audience is laughing but but are there is there like always a section up in the uh, one of the boxes of Of, like super mad mormon angry
0: mormon elders (laughs) (laughs) or
1: we have to see this but we don't want to (laughs) this is rude
0: no i mean it's south park the jokes all land but they're maybe kind of mean or a bad idea like a lot of them are about like african poverty which you know good one
1: they're, but it's not at the expense of Canadians like their other work.
0: No, it's it's mostly Mormons and people with AIDS in Africa. So oh. you know, the Mormons can take it, but it's a little mean to the people with AIDS in Africa.
1: I never saw it. I couldn't afford it.
0: Hey John. I can. Have you uh, been keeping up with the new t-shirt uh, designs?
1: I think that, the, that our current t-shirt designs are so awesome that I don't want them to expire at the end of the month. I want them to go another month.
0: <laughs> they are continuing throughout the entire month in which you are listening to this. Hooray! That's for sure. If you haven't looked at the designs, you can go to omnibusproject.com slash store where our current t-shirt designs reside. This month, there is a... Two omnibus classics. So there's a Chick Tract-inspired mm. shirt with a fictional omnibus theme. It looks really good. It's kind of drawn in the plausible style of a Chick Tract. Yes. And it looks great. And I like this one, too. There's the peachy folder, which instead of the normal... What are the normal athletes on a peachy folder? Let me see. There's, there's these,
1: the tennis. There's the basketball. There's the football. There's the batter. There's the skier.
0: But this one has... This there's one, has, one, this one runners. has you playing rugby uh, this has me, what am I even doing? I'm interviewing, uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm metal detecting for, f- uh, what do we call this? The floating feet, the Vancouver floating feet.
1: Oh, the classic fifties sport of metal detecting for feet.
0: Or maybe I'm interviewing them. I have like a mic. Like I look like a, I look like I'm doing a fifties man on the street interview with the floating feet.
1: Hmm. Okay. I well, guess. it's cool looking in, in any case. And then there's
0: a bear holding a missile. I don't even know does that relate to Omnibus <laughs> and our the famous mascot of our show, bear holding missile. Mm-hmm. You you know you love him. You know you love him. Uh, these are very cool designs. Thanks to our friends at Mediocrity,
1: they are super cool, and I think they are uh, they really exemplify what Omnibus is all about. And if you're wearing one out in the world, and you see someone else coming through the Rye wearing an Omnibus t-shirt, you'll know fast friends, perhaps. Life partners.
0: And in fact, it's required to do one of those jumping chest butts. Oh, yeah. Even if the pandemic is still going on. I'm sorry. Even if you can't jump. <laughs> right. Even if you have a half-inch vertical, you Pro- still got to try.
1: Propel yourself at the other person by whatever means of locomotion you choose and collide with them.
0: If you enjoy Omnibus and you are not wearing Omnibus shirts, you can check that out at omnibusproject.com store to see what cool things are available.
1: And uh, going forward, there will be new T-shirt designs there all the time. We kept these over just because they're so great, and demand has been so high. The Duke of Montague had a relationship with a theater that was called the Theater in the Haymarket, and it was put up. and he, I think the first production was actually uh, sponsored by the Duke. Uh, it was a group. It was a, a group of French comedians known as Montague's French comedians. In the you know, in the kind of witty I love mfc aside of the of the time but the duke says okay let's let's test this out and the the other uh the other aristocrats are like are you sure about that i i doubt very much that you could
0: this is the kind of happens anything. in novels where a wager over brandy turns into brandy that's what they're drinking where a, a, a wager over brandy turns into a, a you know a, a trip around the world or a crazy construction project but in this case, it actually did happen. They remembered the next day what the because normally these dissolute rich people, you'd think they'd forget the next day what they were yelling about the night before.
1: No, this was one of those bets exactly where where uh, the, the 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 they all were gathered around a urinal and made a one pound bet about whether or not this could happen. And um, so there was an ad placed in uh, in one of the broadsides that read um, that read the following. At the new theater in the Haymarket on Monday next, Monday next, the sixteenth instant, and they're talking about the month of January, January eight. I'm sorry, January seventeen forty nine.
0: That's what you would say, the sixteenth instant. The sixteenth instant. Does that mean January sixteenth? Well, it means the yeah,
1: right. The next, the next sixteenth. The Monday next. Oh, I see. The the sixteenth instant. instant. I see. The upcoming sixteenth. Upcoming sixteenth. To be seen, a person who performs the several most surprising things following. Ooh. Now, there's only a couple things that are surprising following, you don't so think it's not.
0: It's, you don't think it qualifies as several?
1: No, I mean, it, uh, well, is a couple think, two or is think, a couple three?
0: You think a couple is three. You probably think a several is a... Uh, uh, several, 20.
1: Five, at least. Six. Uh, there's only a couple. Uh, viz, first, he takes a common walking cane which were common at the time, from any of the spectators, and thereon plays the music of every instrument now in use. Pretty good.
0: Pretty good. And likewise, sings to surprising perfection. Well, that's not so good. I mean, it's easy to find... Susan Boyle sings to surprising perfection. Yeah, but if
1: you're playing the music of a clarinet on a walking cane...
0: At the same time.
1: Or a harpsichord, even more outrageous... Uh, And then sings to perfection.
0: Interesting. I'm just just saying it's already good. You don't need the singing. It's gilding the lily.
1: But here is the second and final surprising thing. So This is a couple. Quite a a few less than several. Secondly, he presents you with a common wine bottle, so that we're drinking wine, which any of the spectators may first examine. This bottle is placed on a table in the middle of the stage, and he, without any equivocation, so not even the slightest bit of hesitancy. Which would ruin the act. Goes into it in sight of all the spectators and sings in it <laughs> during his stay in the bottle. Any person may handle it and see plainly that it does not exceed a common tavern bottle. <laughs> so, this is the this is the poster. This is the uh, is the pre- you know the the advertisement. Come to the new theater in the Haymarket and see a man climb into a wine bottle.
0: Would you go to such a show if you saw this on a pasted to a Capitol Hill telephone pole?
1: Well, it's curious. I mean, I'm not one to go to magic shows. Um, I like, you know, close up magic. I'd, I went to the Magic Castle and watched the watched him find the ace of hearts in a in a potted fern. I'm not sure would I go to this kind of spectacle. Um, It's, oh, 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 I'm sorry. There were other, he was, the bottle conjurer was going to do a couple or at least one additional trick. He has an encore. Those on the stage or in the boxes may come in masked habits, if agreeable to them. (laughs) And the performer, if desired, will inform them who they are. So he'll be able to know your identity even in a
0: masked habit. That is still a bit. Well, yeah. I mean, not with the masks, but, you know, there's still dopes on stage being like, yes, sir, your brother's name starts with an R, or maybe it has an A.
1: Yeah, right. It's a, Or it might be like, this is your life, Groucho Marx. That's still a thing. Uh, and then finally, to entice you to go, to entice an audience, these performances have been seen by most of the crowned heads of Asia, Africa, and Europe and never appeared public anywhere but one, but will wait on any at their houses and perform as above for five pounds each time." Wait, he'll come to your house he'll and come do the show for five pounds? And do this for five pounds, which seems like not very
0: much now. That's, well, it's kind of a deal, isn't
1: it? Well, but then, I mean, five pounds was, that was I mean, basically is, your inheritance.
0: Is that what he'll earn from doing in the show and uh, a hypothetical magician would earn from a, for a full house? Perhaps m-
1: quite a bit more, but as you know, um, a house show is money in your pocket. You, w- you walk out at the end of the night, you don't have to sit in the back room and listen to somebody go down the list of expenses and say, well, you guys did drink an awful lot of beer.
0: So when you, if you were to name a prize to do.
1: To get into a bottle? <laughs> not it a, would be more than five
0: pounds. Let's say you have to get into a bottle and uh, sing cinnamon at somebody's house. Hmm. Is that more or less than. Uh, well, you know, uh, a lot of
1: my peers will do a show at your house for 750 bucks.
0: They'll just go to some um, Tajikistani dictator's birthday with Hillary Swank
1: yeah. and, and do the hits. <laughs> uh, you know, Dave Bazan, I think, famously did did multiple, multiple tours for 500 bucks a night. Um, because with your own band, although you might make 2,500 bucks a night, after you've paid for gas and hotels and and paid everybody in the band, you probably make less than 500 or 750 for yourself. You just
0: need to have an act where it's just you and a bottle.
1: Exactly. Uh, and a different bottle every night, right? I mean, because... He doesn't say how he's going to get out of the bottle, but even that's not much overhead. I won't play your house for $750 because I've, because I make that price significant enough that it dissuades people from asking me to do it.
0: Cause I don't want to. You, you can do a smaller number of them.
1: Yeah. I'll do a much smaller number. Is that number a, zero? At a much, much larger price. Uh, no, it is not zero. Yeah. People have met my price. Um, uh, but, uh, but it's, it's rare. It's the rare.
0: Well, this is free advertising. I, I've just given you.
1: That's right. If you want me to play at your house, <laughs> the
0: bottle conjurer of the 21st century, <laughs> you mist, have to submit Mr. an application. Mr. John Roderick, you may wear masks if so desired. Well, in the, uh,
1: but to prove Montague's point, the show sold out, and
0: it's the dumbest point. If you promise people a really good show, they will attend. Wow. What an amazing discovery about human nature.
1: But, But as you think about it, very hard to imagine... A full-grown man climbing into a wine
0: bottle. But all magic tricks, when described, are supposed to sound implausible. That's the, otherwise they wouldn't be a magic trick. Right?
1: I suppose that's true. You make a horse disappear, but but uh, but even so, putting a bottle on stage and inside of everyone who, uh, you know, crowd this would, has be, a, inspected this would be a good mom, one.
0: It's a pretty good one. This would be like a David Copperfield TV special. Now, for me, I think this if is I'm, not just Penn and Teller dicking around on a morning show.
1: Yeah, exactly. If I'm going to pay an entry fee. To see a show, I want it to be longer than (laughs) five minutes.
0: Yeah, does he have an opening act who, uh, what, puts his toe
1: in a bottle or something? It seems like, you know, if this show started at five, it would be over by 5.30. And that's, I mean, why even bother? Although I guess the middle classes were just milling about in the street, smoking cigarettes and talking about. They got plenty of time. Deism. Anyway, the theater sells out. And on the night of the show, uh, and Montague was a. I mean, all of these characters, if you read their bios, it says, famous wit of the day. But Montague was a notorious prankster and um, not, not just a wit, but like a. like. His mother in law described him thus uh, he was a practical joker. She said, all his talents lie in things only natural in boys of 15
0: years old. And he is about two and 50.
1: <laughs> and I don't understand why she's, they all talk like Yoda.
0: She's so proud of her daughters yeah. of her daughter's yeah. jerk of a husband.
1: Uh, to get he he likes to get people into his garden and wet them with squirts. Well, and to invite people to his country houses and put things in beds to make them itch, <laughs> and twenty
0: such pretty fancies as these. This guy is totally doing fox hunts with the village peasants, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. He's the duke that. Uh, that you show up at his house because you're pleased to have been invited, and then he puts itching powder in your bed. Boo. I mean, how many times is he going to pull that off? I actually, now that I think about it, my dad used to take me to magic stores in the mid-70s, and I did get the dog poop and the cigarette loads and the itching powder. Sure. The the, the whoopee cushions. Uh, I was actually uh, reprimanded in in elementary school. For what? P-Cushioning? No, third grade. I I brought itching powder uh, on the school bus and then opened it. And itching powder, I don't know if you know, but flies everywhere. Like a gust of wind came in the window. The itching powder went everywhere. And the entire school bus was... Uh, they all had to go home. They had to go home and take baths because they were, and I was in big trouble.
0: Do you know what itching powder is often made from? It's like asbestos, right?
1: Or or Yeah, I mean, it's any, it's any
0: kind of fiber like that, but they're a natural source. It's like tarantula hair. What? Can be used as itching powder. How do you farm tarantula hair? You just get a little tiny Gillette five-blade <laughs> razor, and you get the tarantula, tarantula, the smoothest shave it's ever got. That's where Dungeness crabs come from. Oh. A lot, a lot of people don't know that. <laughs>
1: We've got crab legs. Sea galley. Uh, that's <laughs> that's, are they a sponsor now? That's. A, is, are there sea galleys down <laughs> here? No, they're not. Um, anyway, so the night of the show, uh, January 16th, the sold-out crowd arrives in the theater and, um, and sit waiting for the show to begin. And the Duke of Montague has not, I don't think, you know, speaking as a contemporary wag, uh, has not thought this all the way through to present a dog and pony show or some. He's you got. Know. He's
0: got nobody to go up on stage.
1: Yeah, he doesn't come the, out with a banjo. For him,
0: the prank ended when the place filled up.
1: That's exactly right. the The, the show was sold out, and he and his fellows uh, laughed over their brandy.
0: It's the most whimsical jig of the season.
1: <laughs> but the, from the audience's standpoint, they sit in the uh, they sit in their uh, cheap seats, but also in their boxes and await. The show and the hours tick by.
0: They want to see a dude go into a bottle.
1: One of the uh, one of the attendees is actually the Duke of Cumberland, the third son of King George the First. So you know there's royalty in the box.
0: Well, that so that proves not only that the middle classes are easy to fool with implausible placards. It does, but the, the aristocrats as well. He's making a
1: mockery even of his own. Well, of his betters. Uh, I want the
0: queen to walk in, like at the end of Pirates uh, of Penzance.
1: I know, wouldn't that? I mean, the the Prince of Wales is up there talking to his organs. (laughs) Uh, So the house lights come up, uh, the crowd starts to hiss and boo. Uh, An employee of the theater comes out and says, if he doesn't arrive, if the bottle conjurer doesn't arrive in a half hour, we'll refund your ticket price, which suggests that the theater itself was duped. Ah, uh, the manager of the theater, Samuel Foote, was uh, like a prominent theatrical empresario. he was uh he was an actor of great renown who then sort of, uh, you know, went into management as one does. And it seems like they also were in the dark. <laughs> the Duke of Montagu, having, as you say, um, his his joke concluded I, to his satisfaction.
0: I would have told the front of house people, I think. I'm a compassionate joker.
1: Well that's not what happened here. And at one point someone from the wh- someone from the crowd shouts out, um, for double the price he'll get into a pipe bottle. Oh And the room kind of cracks up, but then that begins real distemper. And uh, you know, there starts to be like lots of hissing and rah rah rah. And then someone from one of the boxes up above throws a lighted candle on the stage. Oh! At which point, pandemonium. Are you saying uh, there brickless. was fire in a crowded theater? There was fire in a crowded theater. Although I, I'm not sure whether this is a uh, like an 18th century insult, like like throwing a shoe at George Bush. <laughs> is this like you throw a candle on the stage and the and that's a sign that? That's the ultimate disrespect in the theater.
0: Yeah, it's very bad luck to either say Macbeth or burn down the whole building.
1: <laughs> Actors hate it. So at that point, everyone, you know, rushes to the exits. It's a big uh, it's a big kerfuffle. Uh the Duke of Cumberland actually I think leaves his sword behind, this being a time <laughs> when you would Bring a sword to the theater. Um, everyone had walking sticks. I think it would be
0: funny if he was the only one who actually wore a mask, Duke of Cumberland. <laughs> He's there like – He's like waiting. Where's that guy? Guess who I am?
1: Uh, yeah, right. Everybody in the place would have had a walking stick but per perchance that the bottle conjurer would, they've, would they've play got, the harpsichord on
0: it. They've got to lean on it loosely even if they don't get chosen.
1: Uh, so the, you know, the, the sensible people all rush for the exits, but, uh, the rabble remains in the theater and tears it to ribbons. Uh, they uproot the seats. They pull down the, the, um, all the curtains. They basically gut the place. Someone steals the purse from the box office. The riot spills out into the street and it becomes front page news. Uh, (laughs) in all the tabloids the following day.
0: R- remind me, does this, is this theater, uh, is it owned by one of the aristocrats in question or just affiliated with, uh, so the, is is, is is this hurting him in his own pocket? No, the oh, okay. theater, I mean, he was
1: affiliated with it in the sense that he, he sponsored this production, but no, it's now the theater still exists. Oh, It's now known as theater Royal Haymarket. Uh, and it has become part of the crown, um, you know, the, the, the crown possessions, you know, there are all these different levels of ownership of things on behalf of the crown and there's their private income, but then there are all these pieces of real estate that the crown nominally owns, but that are actually in trust to the, you know, the people of England and are managed and provide income to the treasury that I think are, uh, I think Transferred to um, transferred to the UK government at some point by a king that didn't want to manage the paying the exchequer anymore right and said in, in lieu of that, why don't you just take all these theaters and, uh, and farms that I own?
0: I'm trying to think if I've ever seen anything at the Royal Haymarket, and I'm looking at a list, and I don't think I have. Have you been to a lot of West End theaters? Yeah. Yeah. It's um, especially like when we were like, you know, I've, I've only been to London a handful of times, but- in But t- it was your vacation spot for
1: your family for a long
0: Sometimes, time. Sometimes. And it's, yeah. you know, theaters like oddly, I mean, especially then was oddly cheap compared to in the States. Yeah. And you could often get, you know, half price day have show tickets or when I was younger, student rush tickets.
1: You, you pay double, and a guy would get into a pint bottle.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The half-price tickets don't include a guy um, playing harpsichord on a cane, but <laughs> you know it might have Vanessa Redgrave.
1: How fascinating! I've never seen a theatrical production in London, and have only ever seen one Broadway show. I've seen shows off, 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 off Broadway, by which I mean Brooklyn. But uh, but I've only ever seen the Phantom of the Opera, and it was
0: only and, because and, and thirty times weirdly
1: I only saw it once because <laughs> my millennial girlfriend um, said that her father took them to Broadway shows. That was their way of of being entertained, and she had seen the Phantom of the Opera like fourteen times, and it was a big part of her big part of her uh, cultural language. And she took it to me, and I was excited. I was like, "Oh wow! I've never been to a Broadway show," and it was. It was very dumb.
0: For a special treat, you should um, you should go see a West End theater company doing um, just some American playwright, doing Neil Simon or something
1: with Kevin Spacey in the lead.
0: <laughs> no, he won't be there anymore. But while, I actually did see something at his old Vic, but now I can't remember what it was. It was the closing night of some Stoppard thing.
1: So, so they do a long day's journey into night, and it's hilarious. Cause well, yeah, the a- accents are, they, you know, they're they're
0: always like, uh, you know, Felix Unger will be like. I'm sick of everything, Oscar. You know they'll they'll, they try uh, to
1: do their American accents. Yeah, they'll
0: do American accents if they're doing Tennessee Williams. But and sometimes uh, sometimes it doesn't quite make it. That's a good time.
1: Well, so this became the bottle conjurer became the. Uh, sort of greatest scandal of its time. I mean, not political scandal, but like cultural scandal. This was the.
0: Was there some element of class uh, uh, discontent in it that uh, we're. Because that's, that would be the story today. Right. You know, some, some out of touch celeb making us play things for the rich.
1: No, what it did was uh, it became kind of like the Twitter scandal of its day. Every wag in the culture needed to have a hot take on it. Hmm. And it. Uh, it proved the Duke of Montagu's point because the wags uh, directed their wit not at whoever the culprit was, because because the aristocrats that had per, that had uh, perpetrated this prank were anonymous at the time. It was only m- much later that uh, the Duke of Montagu was they didn't know the full story implicated. Yeah. And the thing is, he died later that year at the young age of fifty three. Uh, by July of that year, he was dead. So it's maybe a little curious that this was ultimately sort of hanged around his neck uh, or hung around his neck because he wasn't there to defend himself. So maybe it was actually the Duke of Portland that suggested it first. Ah, but Montague... He
0: took the fall. Took the fall. I hope it led to like truth in advertising.
1: Well, laws. in fact, the opposite. So Ooh. now it was a joke to put advertisements to, you know, it was a joke for the well-heeled to pay for advertisements in the newspapers uh, of mocking possible shows. So here's one of the the advertisements that appeared in uh, the local broadsides. The most wonderful and surprising Dr. Benimbe Poongo, oculist and body surgeon to Emperor... Monoimungi, who sure. will perform on Sunday next at the little tea in the Haymarket the following surprising operations. viz, first, he desires any one of the spectators only to pull out his own eyes, which as soon as he done, the doctor will show them to any lady or gentleman then present to convince them there is no cheat, and then replace them in the sockets as perfect, and entire as ever. Secondly, he desires any officer or other to rip up his own belly, which when he has done, he, without any equivocation, takes out his bowels, washes them, and returns them to, the, to their place without the person suffering the least hurt. Thirdly, he opens the head of a J of P, and that's a reference. It's
0: the head of a jar of P. Preserves I think A it's justice of the peace. A
1: justice of the peace, perhaps. Takes out his brains and exchanges them for those of a calf, the brains of a bow of those of an ass, and here of a bully for that of a sheep, which operations will render the persons more sociable and rational creatures than they ever were in their lives. Wow. So there were so many of these broadsides taken out, or so many, so many ads in the newspapers taken out, that there was a measurable increase in income for the newspapers.
0: Were these all satirical, fake comedic all. things? There was no show attached? All. At, at, one
1: point, um, at one point, one of the newspaper articles that followed said, the reason that the Bottle Conjurer did not appear was that prior to the show, he appeared in a private audience with uh, with a wealthy patron who, having paid him five pounds to get into the bottle, put a cork in the bottle <laughs> and now carries the Bottle Conjurer around in his waistcoat uh, opening the bottle only periodically to feed him.
0: Do you think he can grant wishes now? With an eyedropper.
1: Well, that seems like right the influence.
0: I'm going to rub the bottle and uh, and make the guy do close-up magic for me.
1: So, I learned of the bottle conjurer because it became such a well-known event in its time that it made its way as one of 1 million references
0: into Moby Dick. Ah, the book that I recently completed. I assumed as part it was going to be a Decemberist song, but no, Melville.
1: Right? Where is where's Colin Malloy? I know he listens to the show. So, Colin, here it is your opportunity The Bottle Conjurer.
0: The Ballad of the Bottle Conjurer. Let's hear it. And that concludes The Bottle Conjurer. Entry 145.ps11983, certificate number 16793, in the omnibus. Uh, for supplementary omnibus material in our era you could always go to at omnibus project on any social media platform the scourge of our society and hopefully yours as well um, I was at Ken Jennings um, you could find John online at, uh, via his Patreon uh, we received email at theomnibusproject at gmail.com if you would like to communicate with us or suggest lyrics to Colin Malloy's Bottle Conjurer song please forward them to us what rhymes of Conjurer? Oh, um, uh, Wanderer. Ganja, um... Ooh, ganja Fur. Gonja fur. ganja fur.
1: Ooh, ganja fur, the purple
0: buds. <laughs> I don't think that's the a Purple thing. hairy buds. Um, you could send us physical uh, objects if they won't fit in email. Anything larger or less digital than an email has to go through the post.
1: Larger than a bread box also would fit into a bread
0: box. We actually, the Legos we got uh, on the last show were larger than a bread box. Here's a couple items recently sent to the Omnibus Project. Uh... Uh, Kim uh, asked—apparently you, you requested somebody to send you soft cheese, and Kim is a cheesemonger, and she wants you to know that you should not send soft cheese through the mails.
1: Even American cheeses which
0: even American soft cheeses like pasteurized which are, have been pasteurized the, the hell out of them? She says, do not send soft cheese through the mail. All right. She But she sent us stickers with cheese puns, which I—, I, I I'm sure is your second preference if you can't get soft cheese. You can put them on the back of your minivan. You just want a sticker of a cow saying, Sweet dreams are made of cheese. Who am I to (laughs) (laughs) disabree? Does the cow
1: look like Annie Lennox?
0: Uh, As cows go, maybe. Kind of pale with a long face. Hmm. I don't think there's anything particularly bovine about Annie Lennox. uh, What animal is she? A a flamingo? Oh, no. Annie uh,
1: Lennox would be a... Uh no, I cockatoo. Would, yeah, I would think of her as a as something. Well, you you really think she's a bird, huh? Maybe. Isn't
0: there something? Uh... I think
1: she's more of a, a ocelot.
0: Oh yeah, she's a lemur. Yeah, well, she's more. I think
1: she's fiercer than a lemur. I think she's a predatory creature.
0: What's fiercer than a lemur? Well, an ocelot. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Do you know how to titillate an <laughs> ocelot? We also received... I have to get this out of it, its bubble wrap because I don't even know what it is. Some kind, some artwork from... Uh, boy, ASMR. Oh, bubble, listen to that. Bubble wrap ASMR. Ooh, hot. No extra cost. Uh, this is from Justin. It's a gift to your daughter. Or for your friend, the former minifigure collector. Oh. I'm an artist and professor here in... B K,
1: in Burger King. British Knights.
0: <laughs> is that a K? What He's, is that? He is, uh,
1: or, or whoever this uh, person is, however they identify, they're writing at the diagonal. They're writing on the diagonal on this piece of paper which has a toucan on it.
0: Well, on the fr- on the front, it's some kind of tropical beach vacation stationery, where he scratched out the name of the owner and written. The stones are better than the beetles, so he, well, he, you Sir, you have my attention. <laughs> oh,
1: <hot take. laughs> sir,
0: you had my notice. Now you have my attention. Uh but Justin has been doing new acrylics of minifigures, and look what he got your daughter.
1: Oh, it's the it's the Luke in um X-wing X-Wing garb with lightsaber. Which and, he which he
0: doesn't usually have in his ship, because if it turns on, man.
1: Well now listen, we had this conversation, she and I, yesterday. She said... This is a timely gift. She said, this looks like Luke, but it doesn't have to be Luke. It could be any X-Wing pilot. If he can use a lightsaber. And then I said, lightsaber. You think, you think Wedge has a lightsaber? And she says he wouldn't bring his lightsaber on an X-Wing. And I said, when he goes to Dagobah... Oh, that's true.
0: He has a lightsaber. Maybe he sticks it into R2, the way he does at the hmm. beginning of Jedi.
1: What I'm going to say is- Or it's is in the
0: overhead bin. Luke goes everywhere with the
1: lightsaber, because what if he crashes his X-Wing? He's going to need his lightsaber. Luke's always going to have his lightsaber.
0: Look, when you board a plane, maybe you maybe you have a weapon you always carry. I'm not sure. When you board a I plane- do you have it? Do you have it uh, on your ankle? I, no. I, no. It I, wouldn't I, be safe.
1: Well, you know how many leather men I've lost <laughs> at the airport?
0: Swiss so, Army Knife Keychain. I have key I, I've donated. I've donated- Four or five to see. Yeah, I stopped carrying a pocket
1: knife as a result.
0: Well, uh, I think Luke would check his lightsaber. That's that's not canon. That's just common sense. If you are flying
1: your private aircraft, you can carry as many M16s on it as you want. I
0: don't know if you would hold it. Um, if he'd hold it lit, though.
1: Oh, I see. I see what you're <laughs> saying.
0: Like, I don't even know if it would be on his belt because you 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 you, you, know, you jiggle in your seat and suddenly you take out your kneecap. Let's say he plugs it into R2. Anyway, an incredibly uh, it's a
1: beautiful work, Justin, and an in- incredibly uh, like apropos painting to arrive right now because we're we have this figure like in
0: play. Yeah, you're, as as I came into your house today, your daughter uh, had was taking off Luke's helmet, and and she didn't put a wig on, so he was just bald, bump headed Luke. She does this. She takes off their hair, and often takes off
1: their heads. She has minifigures sitting around with no heads. And I say, what's going on with this person? And she says, that's not a person. That's just their clothes. So she'll
0: have a minifigure. She's Buffalo Bill from uh, Buffalo Bob from Sounds of the Lambs. Got yeah, it. that's right.
1: I'm so beautiful. Uh,
0: thank you, Justin. That's a lovely impressionist look at uh, Luke as a minifigure. Uh, that's really a high bar. You would have to have some very funny cow puns or some very uh, uh, skilled minifigure artwork if you hope to compete with um Justin and Kim
1: but thank you send us your quilts send us your
0: did I read the address I don't know if I did
1: no I don't think so the
0: P.O. Box is omnibus project P.O. Box 55744 Shoreline Washington 98155 you can if you want to see all these weird things we get the way to see them is by becoming a subscriber to our Patreon at the tier that lets you see the weird video stuff um I really uh couldn't recommend our Patreon higher.
1: Ken, uh, Ken, and Mindy uh, populate the Patreon with all kinds of, of uh, content. There are photographs of everything we receive. At a certain level, you will receive the you will receive in the mail your mail uh, signed show notes from one of our shows.
0: These are all tests of gullibility, just like the bottle conjurer. We don't actually deliver any of these. No, things.
1: we actually do. And in fact, yesterday, Ken and I got on a Zoom call with one of uh, one of our donors. And had a delightful, a delightful phone call with one of our queens. It was uh, a queen's residence.
0: I was wondering how how that sentence was going to end. Queens with one of our queens of the Stone Age. (laughs) He suggested a show topic which I'm very interested in, but I uh, I need to read the book in question, so I have it on hold at the library.
1: That's that's your that's one of your upcoming shows because you're not even revealing the topic to me.
0: Yeah, it's a secret, Hmm. and and uh, I don't know when the library is going to give it to me. So. Oh, right. It could be a very long con for Tom here.
1: This show is still being recorded within the quarantine. Now, maybe by the time it airs, everyone will have had the vaccine and they'll all be out
0: kissing each other. Wouldn't it be nice if we we were speaking to a vaccinated audience who just licked a doorknob right before they put on the show? I'm
1: still going to wear masks when I get on airplanes.
0: I think I'm going to do it for life. I didn't have a cold this year. I didn't either. It was fantastic. It really was. Nobody had the flu. Like, literally nobody in America had the flu. It was insane.
1: Not a single stuffy nose, and I, w- I would happily live the rest of my life without a stuffy nose.
0: Uh, You can... What did I say? Oh, you can also find... So, yeah, check out the Patreon if you're not a donor. Uh, good, good original content. You can find your fellow uh, omnibus uh, connoisseurs at the Futurelings group on Discord or uh, Reddit or especially... Facebook, and uh, they're a lovely group of people, and today they're still talking about Lego. We, we, I think we made it a permanent Lego form accidentally.
1: And over on my Patreon, there's also a discourse group that talks about Omnibus quite a bit.
0: Oh, there you go. Yeah.
1: And, but you're not a member of my Patreon, so you wouldn't know.
0: I'd have to donate, right? Yeah. Hard pass. Come on. I brought you the mail instead. That's
1: nice. I got this nice painting.
0: I donate to your Patreon in in terms of uh, personal acts of service.
1: (laughs) Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, Ken Ken does more praying than I do. I do a lot of hoping.
0: Of all the times for a catastrophe to come, never is pretty good.
1: Never is good. Uh, If the worst comes soon, however... This recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if providence allows, uh, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the on.